All right, let's take our Bibles and let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 3. And we'll be in verses 1 through 7, 1 Timothy chapter 3. And apparently we have the choir backing up the preacher today. You guys all right? That's something new. And it's a Baptist church. So uh, let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 3 and uh, inquire. Since y'all are back there, none of y'all can frown. And you have to say amen a lot and nod your heads. Cool? All right, they got it. All right, so here we go. 1 Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 1 through verse 7. And we're going to break down this simple but needed message this morning. And it's simple. Pray for the leaders. Let's go. Verse 1, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3. The Bible says, this saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Now, we'll break this down more as we go along. But this word in the Greek, the original Greek, is episkopos. That's where we get our word uh, episcopal or elder. It can be translated elder, uh, overseer, even guardian. Really cool. We'll, We'll break it down more, though. So this is the leadership of a local church. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not, notice, fall into disgrace, into a snare or a trap of the devil. So what we've just read this morning in these these verses, is the qualifications for leadership of a local church. Have you ever had someone ask you a question that kind of goes like this? What does a pastor do all week long? You know, and sometimes kids will be like, well, you just work one hour a week, right? You know, like like, like Sunday mornings, or you guys rocking my Baptist church now, it's like an hour and a half, right? From like 11 o'clock to noon or, or later. Like what actually goes on? And so we're going through this series uh, on church membership and how we as followers of Christ want to take something and throw it in the trash. And it's called a country club mentality. Country club mentality within a church means I come so that I can get my needs met. I pay my tithes, and that's like paying dues. And we all know that, right? If you're a member of the country club, you pay your dues. People serve you. If you've ever been on a cruise, people serve you. And then if you've been on a cruise, you come back sick. You know, it's interesting how sometimes that happens. But what we want to do as followers of Christ is look at not what Jeff says, not what Southern Baptist tradition may say, but what does the Bible say about how a church is supposed to work together? For some of you, you may be new to church. I mean, this actually may be your first time in church ever or in a long time. For some of you, this may be your first time in a Baptist church. And you're ready because you think somebody's going to baptize you. Like against your will. 
And so we, we get these people from all different directions and you take people from different socioeconomic strata, different family backgrounds, and you put them together in this thing that Jesus called the church, which means the calling out and putting together into an assembly or we could say a team and doing his work. So within that, within the way a church is supposed to operate, God did set up something called church leadership. And some of us have never gone through what a local church leader, sometimes we call them pastors, sometimes we call them teaching pastors, sometimes we call them elders, should be. And if you're taking notes, which I hope you are, you may want to just jot down two words. Uh, The two words would be character and then ability. Character and ability. And it's amazing as I was studying this passage how everything but one refers to character and only one refers to ability now if you're here and this is not your home church uh, maybe you're from a church and you're looking for a pastor people are listening on radio and podcasts a lot of times when churches look for pastors they don't necessarily go to character do they there's one pastor i was talking to and he said i was talking to this church and they they on the phone and they said the first question was how tall are you seriously They said, how tall are you? And then, no joke, it was a Baptist church. They said, how much do you weigh? And gasps all over the room. And they said, we want a tall preacher. Now, time out. Some churches may not say those things, but a lot of times in our culture, do we have this American idol concept to where who's ever up front needs to be good looking or they need to be flashy. The Bible goes past all of that and says the leader of a local church needs to have godly character. And the only thing that has to do, and we'll, we'll look at this in more detail, that has to do with ability is there in number three. He is able to teach, meaning able to communicate the word of God in an effective Christ-honoring way. Everything else goes to character. And it's very interesting when you study Christian history, most of these preachers that God used for these great revivals were not Very handsome, at least what the history says. They were not very tall. Very, when they walk into the room, everybody just stops and looks. They were not those kind of people because may it may be possible. Now, I know we're Americans here this morning, but it may be possible that God uses people that society says cannot be used. Do you think that could be possible? That there is a verse in Scripture where it says God has chosen the, the, the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. We even look at Jesus. Jesus did not come as a Roman military leader. He didn't come as a Greek philosopher. He came as a Jew and he worked with his hands. Like that's, that's not what you want if it's on your resume to start, a, start something that's going to go around the world. What do you got? Princeton PhD. No. Do you have a medical degree? No. Do you have a multi-million dollar industry? Well, I created the world, but I decided to show humility. Y'all get that? Y'all awake this morning. Come on, work with me. But I decided to come into the world as a humble, downtrodden Jew. And not only just a Jew, not a religious leader Jew. Not a, not a, a big money Jew of the day who were the Sadducees, but to come as a carpenter. And we could say Jesus had good character. Amen, church? 
I mean, he's the one who we aspire to. So when we think about the local church and the way things are supposed to go, number one, if this is not your home church and you're looking for a pastor, you go back and you kick that search committee team in the rear end when they start looking for ways to get somebody who will grow the church. Because if the church grows out of a life that has no basis in the character of Christ, the church will be a flash in the pan. And so here's the main idea up front. I am pastor of Rocky Mount Baptist Church. Most of y'all know that. I need your prayers. I desperately need your prayers. Sometimes in, in when we live our lives, hopefully to follow Jesus, and we see people, you know y'all come on Sunday. Man, it's such a blessing, an incredible blessing to see y'all come. And you, you, you bring your Bible, or if you forgot it, there's one there on the pew for you. Or if you don't have one, you can take that home. Or you pull out your iPhone or your iPad, and you've got the Bible on there. And you're, you're sitting in this place wanting to learn the Word of God. What an incredible blessing that is to me. And God has arranged it so that I'm here and that you're here. And sometimes we can see like the growth that God has given us at Rocky Mountain Baptist Church. And we're so, Jonathan and Amanda, we're so excited for you guys saying, you know what? I once was lost, but now I'm found and I'm ready to tell the world that Jesus has saved me. Praise God for that. And sometimes we can see things and we can think that it's all easy. So we forget to pray for the leaders. And I'm asking you at the beginning of this message and as we go forward, I need your prayers. So let's look at the character qualifications, and we're going to bring it around to a twist here in a few minutes. This is what the Bible says that a local church leader should be, and we'll interchange the word pastor and leader as we go. Number one should be above reproach. It means to be above criticism, not open to blame for moral or character defects. In other words, it means that pastors should not be shady. It means that when someone gives Like the gift that was given so that we could go on a mission trip. And all of a sudden there's like a $10,000 plus minus sign in the church bank account. And then Pastor Jeff's rolling outside on a Harley. There should be no shadiness. And to guard against that when I came, I said, my name, I don't want it on any account. No checking, no banking account. I don't handle the money. I don't. I I preach the word of God and thank you all for not placing me in situations. I know some pastors and right after church, people will come up and they'll say, I forgot to give my money and they'll hand it to the pastor in front of other people. And you know what the dude who's first time in church is thinking? "Uh Uh-huh. I know where that hundred dollar bill, I know where that Benjamin's going to go. Because all they've seen is shadiness their whole life. So as a church, we want to be above Reproach, and, and not only that, notice this is very interesting in verse 2, um, a husband of one wife. In the Greek language, it literally means a one-woman man or a man of one woman. So then we say, Pastor Jeff, we may have a problem because you're not married. Even though some in here may think that it is God calling them to pick the one. And thank you again for those of you that ran... <laughs> interference for me when I came. I will not name names because, but I was told that there were some sweet ladies who love Jesus and love marriage that when Jeff came about four years ago, just had it in their mind who he needed to meet. You know, have y'all ever had that? Choir, you ever had that? Where somebody, can we just, can we just be real honest for a minute? When somebody says, God has shown me that this is the one to be with you and you 
and you say, God has not told me that same thing. You know, it's just like, I don't even have to pray about it, brother. You know, it's just like, let's just go. And so thank you all for not placing me in those awkward situations. Seriously. Because hurt feelings can happen and, and it doesn't want to be, you know, e-harmony, Rocky Mount Baptist Church pastor. We, we don't want to even go there. We don't even go there. Thank you, Angela, for getting that. Thank you. It helps. But it can, biblically, a single man be a pastor of a church. I had this question when I was in seminary, and uh, one of my mentors there, Dr. Stephen Smith, if, you're, if you've been, followed Baptist life for years, Dr. Bailey Smith was his dad. I mean, old school, like bring the heat evangelist. And, uh, and Dr. Smith said something. He said, if you have to be married to be a local church leader, if that's what this text is saying, then Paul, who was writing it, disqualified himself because Paul was not married. And Paul was uh, uh, an elder of many. I mean, he's the one who started uh, most of the churches. He, and he said, the text literally means a one-woman man or a man of one woman. And he says, it means that, quote, he's loyal to his future wife, even though he may not know her yet. I said, that's a good word from the word of God to be able to do that. Um, and so, in other words, the pastor should not be hopping around um, from woman to woman to woman. There should be the character quality of faithfulness in his life. And, and notice the, the, the next qualification here. The qualification of being sober-minded. You could translate that being level-headed. You can also translate this, one who holds himself in, or one, I love this one, one who always has a halter on himself. Now, you don't have to be in church for very long to see some crazy stuff for some crazy people. Can I get an amen in the house? Like, we praise God for every single person who comes. And maybe, I mean, the Lord is sovereign, but it's almost like God says, you know what? I'm going to give you some crazy people just to keep you honest, right? It, it means not that, that, that a leader should not give himself over to unrestrained emotionalism. Outburst and so forth should not be there. The other qualification is a synonym here, and it literally is being self-controlled. And I did some research on that. It's, it meant a person who was not subject to being tempted by bribes. It means to behave in a sensible manner, to let one's mind guide one's body. Not only that, but respectable. Notice the next word, respectable. It means having a character to where people respect the person. Notice next, hospitable. This is awesome for those of you who, who love to think with the original language. This is a, this is a, a combination word, a compound word here. Philo, Xenos, xenophobia, the fear of those who may be different in culture than you. Literally, it means that you love strangers. And I absolutely love the first two years I was here. We had a, we had a Super Bowl party at the parsonage. Come on. And it's a good thing that Cowboys and Redskins weren't playing because we would have had a church split. Definitely. For that. And we were able to have people over and, and hopefully model Christ to them. But in the New Testament, being hospitable goes far beyond pizza and football. In this context, in the world that the Bible was written, being hospitable meant that you were, check this out, for those of you that have space issues, bubble issues, it meant that you should be ready to open your home to people who you don't even know who are traveling through. That a local church leader should love strangers. 
First Peter chapter four, verse nine says to show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Can we stop and preach a minute? Sometimes when people stop, you know, when people stop by, you have no idea they're coming and they stop by. Sometimes people who love Jesus, like, oh, so glad to see you. Clean, clean it quick. You know, and my dad would do some of this stuff earlier. I remember when he was, I was a kid. By the time I got to be a teenager, he had matured to where he would forget some of you guys, you've done this. And it's by the grace of God that you're actually here. He would invite people over and forget to tell my mom. Choir, are we okay? Some of the ladies are like, uh-huh, yeah. And there was one of my dad's friends who would come by and he would, he, he would just come by and say, hey, Jennifer, I'm, oh, Jimmy didn't tell you I'm coming for dinner. And he wouldn't even have been invited for dinner just to get her fired up. So like in American culture, I told this to our prayer meeting team a few weeks ago. Um, our American culture, like when it gets maybe 10 o'clock, at least for adults, students, you guys are, I mean, it's like 4 a.m. You guys are still, still going for it. When you get to be adults and old, I mean, if you're up by 10 o'clock, you're just, I mean, that's, that's stretching. I was on a revival team in Texas. And we went to preach, and I was preaching. Another guy did the music. Another guy did children and students. And we went to a Hispanic church south of San Antonio. And every single one of them, and former Roman Catholics, had understood that you can't earn your way to heaven. They were absolutely on fire for Jesus. And, I mean, they would play. They would sing. The altar was filled every service because they were so thankful to be saved. It was awesome. And I remember one night, we were seriously hanging out with, like, adult men in their 50s. And it was nearing midnight. And these guys, like one guy, I remember he drove a truck and I said, I mean, we can go and we can go back to our room if you need to, you know, to, to get some rest. No problem. We were having fun. Talk about Jesus. I'm like, if you get a, if you get a white man who's going to have to get up at 4 a.m. the next day and he's still wanting to party around midnight, the brother is imbibing. But it was just amazing to see the hospitality in that culture that usually like in white American culture, um, by the time it gets to 10 o'clock, you throw out something like this. Well, it's been great having you come over. You know what that means, choir? Get out. That's what it means. That's what it means. We'll see you next week. But the Bible says that a local church leader should model loving people that goes far beyond football and pizza but to open up the house to all who would need a place to stay and here's where we take a break from the character to go to something having to do with ability notice it says able to teach it literally means skillful at teaching every other qualification goes to the character of christ but if one is to be a local leader of a church it means that they must have a god-given passion and zeal to preach And we know that there are different styles, but if a person, if people consistently come to church because they say it's easier than taking my sleeping pills, let me be honest. Once again, we're not talking about style. There are different styles. But if a person is not wired and gifted to communicate and teach, they don't need to be in leadership in a local church because it will kill the church. Let's just take it a step beyond. Um, I believe that it may be close to, if not a sin, to bore people with the Word of God. 
If you open up this book and you actually take some time, and I know it's hard, but put the iPhone on airplane mode, turn the TV off, and just unpack it, this will change your life. It is absolutely power-packed. And once again, it's so encouraging to see y'all come on Sundays ready to hear the Word of God. So this is not your home church and you're looking for a pastor, uh, for, a, for an elder who's going to do the teaching. Make sure, according to the Bible, that they are gifted and able to teach the Word of God. And that's not a lecture um, about things that would only appeal to a small minority of people. Now, it gets very, very interesting. We swing back to the character. It says, not a, verse 3, not a what? A drunkard. Meaning... If everybody says, you don't have to bring a keg to the party, pastor's coming, there's a problem. <laughs> means that the pastor should not be addicted to alcohol. And if you want to go see my stance on that, we preached a message about three years ago on it. Um, as a follower of Christ, I have opted um, to be above reproach and to do the the... The wisest thing I know how with alcohol in our culture is I personally don't drink um, at all. That's not a thing to say that I'm better than Christians who do, but just the ravages of alcohol in our culture. When people say, Jeff, what do you think I should do? I said, my encouragement to you as a friend and a brother in Christ is to do the best thing, not a legalistic thing, but to do the best thing and simply not to have it as a part of your family or as your home. Because I have yet to hear an argument on how it can benefit Life and marriage. And it is incredibly quiet right now. (laughs) Next qualification. Not violent, but gentle. It means not insisting on every right of letter or law or custom. It means to be courteous, tolerant, gentle, and kind. It means being willing to give people the benefit of the doubt and not trying to pin people to the wall on things that really don't matter in the first place. Not only that, but not quarrelsome. The King James Version says not a striker. It means that if the pastor's arguments end with let's take this outside, punk, then there's a problem. The pastor also should not be, notice what it says, a lover of Money. Once again, we have the word phileo here. Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. It's a word with the A and the negation, not a lover of combination, compound word with money. It means that the pastor should be driven by the glory of God and not by money. And here's where it gets very interesting in verses 4 and 5. It says, He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church. It means that whether we like it or not, a pastor's family who's an absolute wreck does cause people to question his ability to lead, whether or not he loves Jesus with all of his heart. And we all are aware of the stories about pastor's kids, right? Verse 6. He must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. The word here for a a, a new convert has to do with a, a fresh, newly planted shoot. I mean, something very fresh as opposed to a tree that has been firmed and rooted for years. Doesn't have anything to do with age because there are many people that are very well up in age that are not mature in Jesus. And there are some people who are very young in their walk with Christ, and yet they're very uh, solid. But the Bible here says, give it time for them to be able to grow with the Lord. 
And what is the judgment of the devil? Well, we know that the devil fell because of pride. He wanted to be like God, but the job was not available. He tried to stage a rebellion. God cast him and the fallen angels who had followed him out of heaven. Not only that, but verse 7, Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Now, hold on. Why... Does the Bible say that there must be a good reputation with those who are on the outside? Because a pastor's and a local church leader's character will open people or close people to the gospel. Once again, if Pastor Jeff is going clubbing in Roanoke on Saturday night, coming in on Sunday morning, strung over, somebody comes in here and like, wait, 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 that guy up there, I saw him out on the dance floor. I saw him getting, I mean, just bombed, like, like drinking, like it's going out of style. Like, what's up? Like I saw him, I saw him take a picture of somebody's credit card when they pulled out to swipe it in the line at Kroger. Did I just give somebody an idea? Don't do that. Like that dude's shady, man. And here's the thing. Here's the connection that the outsiders, a person who doesn't know Jesus, will make. They say, if the leadership is shady, if the leadership is corrupt, then maybe what they're teaching is corrupt. And it can actually close people to the gospel. So now that y'all know what I'm supposed to be, you know what happens with most churches? They say, pin them to the wall. The Bible here is not saying that a leader is to be perfect, but they should reflect and honor Christ. Let's just go back to this quickly. Have any of us ever had the temptation, let's go to verse number two, to do something that would be dishonorable? Come on. Husband of one wife, sexual sin, unfaithfulness. Have we ever been tempted? If you're breathing, you probably have. Must be sober-minded, self-controlled. Respectable, hospitable, not a drunkard, ever been tempted to say, you know what, if I just go by the 7-Eleven or the convenience store and pick up a couple of tall boys, get in my room, it's going to be fine tonight. Have you ever been tempted by that? Tempted to be violent? To say, I have absolutely had it. Somebody or the wall is going to get punched. To, to be tempted to love money? To be a person who's quarrelsome, who wants to argue with our family. Guess what? Every single one of us has had those temptations. So when the Bible says that a local church leader should be above reproach, that leaves us with a very simple question. If you're taking notes, write it down. 2 Corinthians 2.16, when the apostles Paul says simply, and I quote, Who is sufficient for these things? I mean, who can be this? Seriously, nobody can can be this without Jesus. And Jesus has sovereignly ordained to work in our lives through the prayers of other brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. So how should we respond to this? I am asking you that you would commit to pray for the pastors and other church leaders. And as the Lord blesses us with more people, it may be that we bring on more full-time staff, more part-time staff, and we need to pray for them. Andrew Murray said this, quote, The man who mobilizes the Christian church to pray will make the greatest contribution to world evangelization in history. 
And if you're taking notes in your Bible, Ephesians chapter 6, it says that we put on the whole armor of God. We put on the helmet of salvation, the shield of faith, and the breastplate of righteousness. Why? Because there's something called spiritual warfare. Big question. Do we need Satan tempting us to seriously jack up our lives? Or are we pretty sufficient on tempting ourselves without his help? For being honest, just the temptations of the flesh, James chapter 1 says, does God tempt? I mean, when I'm tempted, am I tempted of God? It says, no, God does not tempt and God cannot be tempted by evil. But each one is tempted when he is enticed. Think fishing. The fish is doing its fish thing and it's, whoa, lure. And it's enticed by its own lust or desires and it is ensnared. And when sin gives birth, when it's full grown, it gives birth to death. So there is spiritual warfare. There is the struggle of the flesh. And even in Colossians chapter 4, verse 18, I was reading this this past week. The Apostle Paul said, remember my chains. Remember my chains. There are some people and they ask for prayer requests from everybody all the time. And that should be normative for Christ's followers. But for some of us, don't we kind of feel sometimes that we would be burdening people if we asked for them to pray for us? Or we would be that person We would be the person like taking energy from other people. It's like the Lord said, you know what? The Apostle Paul says, remember my chains. And we were preparing this message. So I need you to pray that I am to be what God has me to be. Not only that, but to commit to pray for church, Christian leaders, families. Uh, We know the struggles of preacher's kids. And can you imagine being a preacher's wife? Got a couple of preachers in here, but can you imagine? Here's, here's the way it goes. Um, sometimes you deal with people and, uh, and they don't, they can't be a big fish out there, but they want to be a big fish in the church and they cause problems. And sometimes they criticize the leaders. Now, ladies, think about if someone were to criticize your husband openly, publicly, and it wasn't even true. You know the way that most ladies would react or want to react? Ultimate fighting championship, Baptist style. Right? It's the same thing, man. When you're, when you're married to somebody, like you love them, don't, don't talk about them. But a pastor's wife, she can't do that. I mean, she can't, she can't wait with a sock and a pile of quarters. Given way too many, Ken, <laughs> ideas. Like wait for that, that other lady or that man and just give them a beat down. I'm actually a pastor's kid. Believe it or not, I'm actually in church. Believe that. I mean, it's, and growing up, like seeing that stuff, being a kid, and it was a very different day then, but it just like would fill you with so much anger towards people in the church. And a lot of times, pastors, kids, they reflected on Jesus. And Jesus is saying, Matthew 7, no, 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 no. I told you there's going to be lost people in the church. They're called wolves in sheep's clothing. And they're there to destroy the unity of the church. So whether it's your home church or whether you go back to another one, pray for the pastor and his family. Not only that, but pray for protection against the attacks of Satan. Kyle had mentioned this a few weeks ago in the Young Adults Bible Study, but how interesting is it in the news when a, when a Christian leader falls morally, whether it's some financial issue, whether they're just cooking the books, or whether it has to do with a prostitute or something like that, how that just hits the airwaves. Where if it's just a tax guy who gets nailed by the IRS, it may show up in the paper, may not. 
that so many people in today's world are wanting to see Christian leaders fail. That as followers of Christ, we should pray for one another. Amen? Because all that you have to do to scatter the sheep is to strike the shepherd. Now, when I say this next statement, I'm not making excuses for pastors who have fallen. It's to turn your back on Christ. It's to be a traitor to the one who has called you to lead and to serve. But could it be if there were more people praying that some of these pastors who have taken the road, it's a little pornography here, it's meeting with a lady alone here, it's a little emotional connection here, and then you end up with a full-blown scandal. Could that have been avoided if more people would have hit their knees and said, Oh God, please protect our leader. Protect. And not only that, to pray that God would keep me, would keep every leader we have in this church and future leaders safe from the attacks of the enemy. But more than that, commit to pray for his physical and mental health. There's a lot of pastors today, and I praise God that he's given me the ability not to, to have one of the mental breakdowns, but you would not be you would not believe the amount of pastors today that are on nerve medication, that are having they have mental health issues. And in the church, a lot of people don't look at the pastor as a person. They look at the pastor as something to produce. Now, follow me on this. Some people in the church will look at the pastor as someone for them to complain to or to tell their problems to or someone to to tell everything bad that's happening. Now, that is a part of pastoral ministry, but very few people in the context of local churches understand that leaders are, are people too. Amen, Brother Pat? And one of the amazing things that you can see is people that God brings alongside leaders to encourage, and it doesn't always have to be the same thing. And I was so blessed by uh, one of our ministry leaders this past week. We needed to talk about a ministry issue. And um, I was going to be visiting a family that evening. And so we can talk when I get back, which will be fairly late. And uh, and that person sent me a text message and said, you know what, call me, call me around lunch because I don't want you to have to continue to talk later in the evening. Now, do I talk on the phone late at night to people? Fairly often. Do I mind it? No. But the fact that that person said, you know what, it may be good if you just go to bed pretty much meant more than words can say. If we remember in the Old Testament, when the Israelites were going into the Canaan to conquer the promised land, God had led led Moses to say he will hold his hands up during this battle when, when Israel was fighting Amalek and Joshua was leading the army. And then as Moses held his hands up, you remember the story, Israel was beating the enemy. But then he got tired, choir. I mean, it wasn't VBS. It was, it was like battle that goes and goes and goes and goes and goes. And his hands begin to be tired. And God brought Aaron and a man named Hur, H-U-R, to hold up Moses' hands. And Israel won the battle. Listen, I know the Bible says that God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. God has humbled me greatly through this protruding disc issue in my lower back. And God continues to humble me in saying, I need 
your prayers, to be what God has called me to be, to stay away from the attacks of the enemy. Because I remember there have been pastor after pastor. I mean, even as a teenager, I mean, these guys would come preach at church. I don't want to name names. And they would like throw, I mean, awesome preaching. You just sit there like preach for five hours. I'm not moving like that good. And then you hear they fall. Then I take a step back to say, I'm a man. They're a man. Please pray that God in the future would keep me. It is so quiet in here right now. Pray for the leadership. You say, Jeff, do you take safeguards? Yes, I have covenant eyes, which is a uh, like a filter. And it's on my, all of my devices. And when I go on the inter- internet, it, it sends the sites that I look at to accountability partners. So if I were to look at something that was messed up, they would see that. They'd call me on the phone, say, and whatever needs to happen. Another safeguard is that, ladies, it's nothing against you, but I, I don't meet with ladies alone, like outside of office hours here. That's not to say that if we need to talk about Jesus, that I think that you're a hoochie mama. But it simply means that on our day, was that too much? <laughs> May have been. But it simply means that in our day and culture, I don't want to be like the apostle Paul says to, when you think that you're strong. Oh, I got it. I'm not like those guys. No, I, I, I can, I can totally, I can totally get on the internet. No, no need for accountability. No, I got, I got self-control. It's at that moment, men, that we are a foot step away from absolute catastrophe and may it be that in our lives god would bring us to the point to say you know what let us be like jesus not just moses but jesus was in the garden about to be arrested about to be betrayed about to be shredded with the cat of nine tails about to be stripped naked and put on a cross in front of people and none of them had mercy Do you remember what Jesus did? He asked his three closest, come and pray with me. Come and pray with me. The invitation today is that we would commit our lives. This is not just a sermon about Jeff. This is the first one we've ever done in four years here, a sermon on the role of a pastor, first one. But that God would so bring our hearts together that we would pray and we would plead to God that he would save people and the ones that he has saved, that he would keep them, as Pastor Johnny Hunt says, close and clean.